2: Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast.
3: 29 days, 64 games and 172 goals. The highest in any World Cup finals ever. But there was only one winner and that was Argentina. In a final versus France that has been dubbed the greatest World Cup final of all time. Fittingly, the trophy was lifted by a man who has also been dubbed the best of all time. And this victory for the man surely only goes one step further to cementing that status. This is Football Social Daily and this is our World Cup show, the final one for this World Cup. And we're going to be looking back on last night's final and the tournament as a whole to do that in the studio. Marley Anderson, how you doing, Marley? I'm doing great. And Joel Tudor. We're oh, yeah, we're ready, we're good. Before we crack on with today's podcast, we need to talk about Marley, who <laughs> is one hand less <laughs> than he had this time last week. Thursday night was the company Christmas party. Mostly uneventful. Mostly. From, mostly uneventful, apart yeah. from you now have a great big hole in your chin yep. and a cast on your arm. Talk us through it.
1: I wish I could remember in more detail, to be honest, <laughs> uh, to be honest, Jim, but... Um, Basically the long and short of it was I tried to walk home after uh, going in a bar, um and uh yeah, I was trying to walk home and I seen a McDonald's and as every drunk fella does on a night out, he needs nuggets at half two in the morning. So need the nug nugs. I need them nuggies. Um so in I went. or well I didn't didn't actually get there, so <laughs> I've I've checked my pocket to check I still have my wallet, went to get it out, left hand in the pocket. Um didn't see the massive curb in front of me, tripped over it, straight on my uh, on my face. My hand got jammed in my pocket landed all all 12 stone of me onto the uh, onto the left hand specifically my uh, my little little knuckle don't know what the uh, the medical term is but on my hand and um, took the rest of the brunt of the force on my chin um, literally
4: took it on the chin literally that is the meaning of it yeah
1: one. <laughs> I, no one's shown a, a chin this strong since tyson fury got up against Deontay Wilder a couple of years ago um didn't knock any teeth out somehow didn't smash my face open and my jaw somehow just had a, uh, so I've got a two, two one-inch cuts on my chin now and a broken hand. So I spent a grand total of about eight or nine hours in A&E over the weekend. Um, and big thanks to the NHS for, for strapping me up and sending me on my way. They should bill you for that. I mean, it's completely right. self-inflicted. There's no oh. way
3: you should be taking money out of the taxpayers' pockets for well, your drunken antics.
1: Well, anyone in England listening to this, thank you. Because uh, <laughs> thanks to your taxes and my taxes, to be fair... Um, that I've uh, I've been fixed up, but there's nothing quite like embarrassment when they go. So how did you do it? And I just went, oh, I was drunk. <laughs> it zero. was Christmas party. You, I was drunk. You have I zero away.
3: sympathy from me. Absolutely zero sympathy. It's your own fault, and well, it just to goes be fair,
1: to you. You your mantra of a night out is nothing good happens after two o'clock. No. I'm a... <laughs> Two o'clock midnight, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. particularly on a works do. You've still
3: got your Christmas works do. Remember, nothing good happens on a works do after midnight. You're yes. not missing anything. Only can get yourself into trouble. The worst thing about Marley's story, I think, was the next day on oh, the bus home. Go. Like there were 15 of us coming back from Cardiff to Manchester, and on that journey. We were all waiting, for, and we had to wait a little bit longer anyway because Marley and Niall were still in bed and missed the... Whoa, not together. Not together, <laughs> <laughs> sharing a room, but in the, <laughs> missed the departure time. And then when we finally got on the coach, we had to wait another half an hour. Marley looked for his phone, which he'd left somewhere. It wasn't in the hotel room, wasn't in his bag, couldn't find it in the hotel lobby. Turns out it was in his pocket, <laughs> which we only located <laughs> after phoning it.
1: However, I think I was still drunk at that point. Yeah. Less Possibly said than don't, don't drink, know. kids. It's not worth
3: it. Yeah. But we are going to talk about something far more exciting on today's podcast. We're going to kick off with the World Cup final. Argentina 2, France 2 after full time. France coming back from 2-0 down when it looked like the final was all sewn up. Went to extra time, went to penalties, 4-2 in the end and... Argentina win the World Cup for the third time first time in 1986 they don't get to keep the trophy by the way because they changed the rules around that when you win it three times you don't get to keep the trophy anymore so they won't to be a, a real there won't be a new World Cup trophy but they do get to keep it for the next three and a half years the general narrative at the moment is that it was the greatest World Cup
4: final ever do you buy into that narrative Joel do you think it was that good I think it might have been one of the greatest games I've ever watched. Honestly, i it's more so just the context around it because going into it, the storyline felt like it was gonna be a classic. I even said mm-hmm. it to my friends that I said, just going off the base of how this tournament's gone and how many upset upsets there's been, and the fact that the narrative was his Messi's maybe last World Cup, last chance of glory. I think Adam Bappe who could go back to back um back to back World Cups and basically carry his nation again two of the best plays in the world at the time as well. It just felt like we'd we'd rarely had one of those scenarios. I can't remember the last time we did. And it was the fact that both of them played such a massive hand in basically their nation's chances yesterday. Mm -hmm. And it just fixed up to be... I, I think it is one of the best games I've ever it's watched. So, in my life. It
3: so rarely happens, though, doesn't it? Right? The narrative is there, and it ends up actually following the narrative and being a good game. I mean, you think of all the Super Saturdays we've had, where it's a title decider between Liverpool it's like and nil-nil draw. Yeah, now. It's always so drab and disappointing, but it was just it just had everything.
4: I think the best part about it was the fact that you know in the first half, Argentina literally ripped them to pieces. <laughs> I think if it was a nil-nil drab halftime. Mm. Uh, scoreline, I think it still would have been very tentative where both teams didn't want to lose the game. It was the fact that Argentina brought it to them so quickly that Deschamps had to make a quick substitution and they were literally chasing their feet from, what, the 15th, 16th minute. And I just loved the fact that, you know, before the game, the status quo was basically that Messi should win it, he deserves it. And I, I hated that because you have to earn that title in the final And it was the fact that Mbappe, even though he was completely quiet for 80 minutes, the reason why he is who he is and how good he is is because he produces in moments. Mm. He doesn't need a whole 90 minutes to completely tear a team apart. It was the fact that he literally... I've never seen someone so young carry their team so much in a final I mean just think about the fact that he's got a, a hat trick in a World Cup and he still doesn't have the trophy mm. yeah, I, I would feel so good. And I remember seeing the picture of him at the end on the bench and he must be thinking for How 70 minutes
3: hell? he was pretty obsolete though. the yeah, whole of France was, was obsolete for the first 70 minutes pretty they, much did not uh, have they a were, shot on target they were all, they have a
4: shot on goal they were all pretty much marked out he was marked out of the game and like you say they barely had any chances on goal and it was just the fact that Scaloni played it to an absolute T and I think although Messi is going to be the poster boy for this World Cup the manager honestly deserves the most credit I think he's easily the manager of the tournament for me you know the fact that you know in 2016 he was begging Messi on social media to not retire after that Copa America defeat to Chile, to then basically win the Copa America with him and the World Cup with him and bringing Di Maria for the final when he hadn't really played a massive role in the World Cup. Mm. There's just so much credit that needs to be given to that Argentina team full stop, um, and it just it was just an absolute classic. I've just. There was no moment to breathe in that game, mm. especially when it went from 80 minutes onwards. And, you know, when France had that last minute chance, when Mouani was through on goal, you know, these are moments that define football history. And it just, the, at the end of the day, both of them produced, both of them carried their nations. And I don't think Mbappe could have done much more, could he really? I do wonder
3: whether for Lionel Scaloni, that World Cup victory as manager, will top the 13 games he spent on loan at West Ham back in and <laughs> Six, I think it was. I'll, quite, I'll have to ask him one day which is the better achievement. In terms of those substitutions that Joel mentioned, Niall, it was quite brutal for the champs. I'm, I'm not Niall. Sorry,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm still who, drunk i Thursday. still drunk the head? Niall still has a hand. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, the champs made the decision around 40 minutes to take off Giroud, take off Timbele. Yeah. It's brutal for Giroud particularly yeah. to have that decision made. But... Yeah. I guess he was justified because France did eventually maybe 20 minutes later kind of wake up into that game.
1: Yeah, the um it was it was harsh because I thought um obviously you know forgetting that he's the all-time sort of top scorer and everything. Even looking at it on like a tactical uh, view. Um when you're defending a lead, you tend to sit a bit deeper and that's when a, a target man can come into effect because you can chuck balls into the box and you're going to have issues. Um, always keeping a, a guy who's six foot four and good in the air, very good in the air, um, keeping him at bay. And I thought that was a bit strange because I know they they, they usually when they take Giroud off, it's usually to put uh, Mbappé through the middle um, and put turam on on the on the left. Um, but it it didn't work out like that. Mbappé stayed mostly on the left uh, towards the end of the game, especially. Um, and you know, I mean, you could say it worked, but. I'd probably just say it was two moments of magic from Mbappe that would that would have happened anyway, or yeah, mm. they either happen or they don't. I don't think it was tactics that that made that um, that change happen. Um, but Moawani won the penalty, obviously. Colin Mewani, and obviously, he came on for um, as part of that double substitution as well. So so that's um, obviously something which Deschamps has has, has uh, risked and and it's came off really because they can't really have done much else. Um, and they were poor up until then, so I don't really agree, disagree with the the early sub. But I did feel for Giroud because, you know, what what physically more could he have done for France in that tournament? So it was a bit maybe a bit harsh. The man we need to talk about is obviously
3: Lionel Messi. Managed to score in every part of the tournament knockout stages last 16 quarters semis final he has undoubtedly been the driving force behind argentina winning this world cup and it was written in the stars as you said joel it was always going to be that that was the story that we were expecting beforehand does it cement him as the goat the greatest of all time does it give him that leg up above ronaldo that we can now debate though i mean it's it's really difficult to compare apples and oranges and go is he better than george best is he better than maradona is he better than pelle because there's so much time between the two, but certainly in that debate of who's better between Ronaldo and Messi, does this finally prove the point? Not just because he's won the World Cup, but because of the influence he's had throughout the
4: tournament. I said last week, I think if he won it or not, in my eyes, his legacy was completely unchanged. It's just the fact that in this World Cup, he has truly carried his nation to the same extent that Diego Maradona did it all those years ago. And I think that's what everyone had been waiting for because he had so many tournaments Maybe apart from 2014, but so many tournaments where it was really disappointing, or the Argentina team was really disappointing, and they were too top heavy, and it just didn't. The Argentina team just never felt cohesive when he was in it. It was always an incredibly star-studded attack that the manager didn't know what to do with, mm. and then a defense that was all playing in the Argentinian division and were just so not up to par. For me, I mean, I know for the for the neutral, I think this will cement it completely that he is undoubtedly the top guy now because he's literally won absolutely everything that there is to win and he's had a major, major hand in absolutely everything, especially the way, like I say, the context of how he's won this World Cup against basically almost like the heir to the throne in a way of Mbappe who was like the, it it reminded me of, you know, like a heavyweight match where you had like an old Mike Tyson coming up against a young contender and just seeing who's going to carry the torch next. It had that kind of feel to it. And obviously, Messi came out on top in the end. For me, I mean, it's difficult for me to answer because when you have someone like Cristiano Ronaldo who's played for your club and has been so influential, it's difficult to see past that because he and recently he, kicked him in the nuts. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I mean, well, judging based on the pitch, is hard for me to kind of definitively say. But I mean, them two are just so far and wide above anyone I've ever seen. The fact that they went toe-to-toe together for 15 years straight, I mean, mm. it's unheard of. It's the story in itself. I think without Ronaldo, Messi wouldn't have been as good as he was. I think without Messi, Ronaldo wouldn't have been as good as they They needed each other, like dancing partners, mm. sparring partners if you want. They needed each other to go that one step, Further in their careers, and I think yeah. it's just the perfect fairy tale football story, which I don't think we'll ever see again.
3: It did feel like a passing of a torch as well, didn't it? You're right yeah. because Mbappe is by far and away—he's
4: the prince of football now, yeah. isn't He's he? Ready now to sta- take he it stands on. alone as well 100%. in that status.
3: There isn't there isn't a Ronaldo, there isn't someone to contend him. He will dominate for the next five years unless. Someone well, else in. Unless Harland, Harland, I think I
1: think Harlan that that'll be the next gen rivalry. But because Harlan plays, plays in yeah, exactly. So exactly. you don't get the same rivalry. Yeah. I know
3: again Portugal, Argentina aren't quite on the same status, but still Ronaldo managed to
1: win the Euros but, with. Well, I'd Portugal. probably argue Ronaldo was a big part of pulling pulling the next generation through, as because he was so good. Mm. You know, you, you forget he's he's a t- 10, 11 years older than Bernardo Silva. So when he's banging them in in 23, 22, a 12-year-old, Bernardo Silva's like, oh, my God, this guy's insane. Yeah, yeah. He's bringing them through. He's dragging them through. So Haaland's got to do that for Norway, for example. Like, Norway have got a good team. Like, we've got Odegaard, Haaland. They're the, they're the flag bearers. They're the torch ones who, who has to go, you know, the next gen has to, be, has to be better and has to sort of serve us sort of thing. Because we'll drag you through the hard times but you've got, to, you've got to fill in the gaps type of thing. Mm. I think that's what Ronaldo's done
4: for Portugal. Let's not forget, before Ronaldo, they hadn't been in a major tournament. No, that I'm right? sure because I saw a, a stat.
3: Surely the likes of um, Eusebio. This, it?
4: It? Oh, no, I was thinking more
3: like... Um, Rui Costa yeah, and people right, and like that. That kind of Luis Figo. They must have been to a major tournament.
1: Yeah, I think so. We'll check that stat. Joel's we'll on get the back to you ASAP. Yeah, but we'll get yeah, back to it's, you. Um, it's one, it's no, co- oh yeah, so of course
4: it was the 1966 World Cup with Eusebio. Then I think for, since then there was nothing.
1: Well, I did hear at a start that the only when they got to the um, game where they got knocked out by um, uh, Morocco, that was only the third time they'd ever got
4: to the quarters. Ah, there might have been, yeah, it might so have been that. That was, I mean, that that's, that sounds more believable. That's yeah. Pretty staggering. <laughs> they've done it right in the might Euros have. and stuff, but but yeah, I mean, it, then population's like what nine or ten million. They've overachieved in so many tournaments since Ronaldo has been there, and let's not forget Argentina's population, something like forty million you're bound to have way more higher expectations. So like you say with Haaland, now's his chance to rise his nation because Norway's population isn't massive, but they've got a massive potential going forward. Yeah. And that's why I always have respect for Ronaldo because he literally carried them for the last 15 years since the likes of Figo and all of them retired.
3: Argentina obviously are the winners. There was the iconic moment of... Messi lifting the trophy, slightly spoilt by the fact that someone had started putting him in a dressing gown before he picked picked up the trophy. But did they deserve it? I mean, I guess the contentious thing that we could discuss might be the opening penalty, the clumsy tackle from Dembele, the potential for Di Maria to have bought that slightly. I think it was a penalty, if I'm honest. But when you look back on the tournament as a whole, they let, in a similar way to they did in the final, actually, they let the Netherlands back in for that. 2-2 2-2 draw and one on penalties when they they were 2-0 up. Same with France, lost in the group stages to Saudi Arabia. That shocked everyone. When we look back on this tournament, do we go actually Argentina? They were the best
1: team in it. They deserve it. Uh it's well, it's always hard to say they didn't deserve it when they um they won the tournament, but I don't think they were I don't think there was was a clear best team in the tournament. Like nobody got robbed out of winning it. Nobody you know argentina didn't romp to it they started off terribly with with the loot, with the uh, defeat to saudi arabia they blew leads in every game you know holland they let them back in from 2-0 up uh the final they let um you know they let france it was practically the exact same thing wasn't it mm. um except yeah i think it was france at like, 88 and 91 and uh, sorry, Holland was 88-91 they conceded.
3: Different tactics from France and Netherlands. I mean it was it was well, al- yeah. it was almost the reverse. It's like big man coming off rather than big men going on which <laughs> the Netherlands <laughs> played, but
1: Yeah, I thought about would have had a French passport. And tucked away <laughs> in his uh, in his pocket somewhere, but yeah, it's uh Yeah, they they showed a lot of frailties. I don't think they they were I think Brazil, Brazil would be kicking themselves that they didn't get through that game against Croatia. Um and that deflected goal winning because I did think Brazil looked the uh the best team, but you know, their name's on the trophy now, Argentina, so that's all anyone cares about. We're going to continue talking about the World Cup next. We're going to move
3: off from the final. We're going to talk about England and their journey through the finals and the news that broke yesterday that Gareth Southgate will be staying on as England manager. We're also going to be looking back at the tournament as a whole and we'll do that next on Football Social Daily.
2: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
3: Welcome back. Football Social Daily. Yesterday's World Cup win for Argentina lifting the trophy. Lionel Messi finally completing his destiny. Completely overshadowed by the news that Gareth Southgate <laughs> will stay on as England manager beyond the European Championships next season. Speculation is over. I think we all kind of felt that he was going to hang around. and it, We now know he will hang around until at least Euro 2024. Just before we move on to what it means for England, in terms of the World Cup final, we just saw Argentina beat France, who were pretty abject for the first 70 minutes of that. There were rumours about the camp being affected by a virus and maybe them not being quiet at the races, but still, does that make looking back at this World Cup and that defeat to France feel even more frustrating considering how poor France were in those first 70 minutes of the final?
4: Yeah, when I was looking at them in the first half, I was literally thinking to myself, why did they show them so much respect in that game? Because they were so easily got at, especially defensively. If you look at Jules Koundé against Di Maria, who is not he's at the twilight of his career now, he's not the best in, in form he's ever been. I mean, he'll be playing for Rosario next year, probably. He'll be finishing his European career. And the fact that they were just completely overrun by players on Argentina that were just frail, comp- literally frail I just couldn't believe that England let it slip I felt Mm. like in the first 80 minutes England could have given Argentina a way better game but then England don't have someone like Kylian Mbappe who can bring you from the dead and basically take you from going out of the competition to potentially winning it and I think this is what I mean when you're champions and you've won it before so recently and you've got players like that for France I never thought France were dead and out because that's how they've been in the whole tournament It's a team that just comes back from the dead. They look very silent, but they have a player who can give them a moment, which basically always gives you a chance. And I just think with England, I don't know if it's a mentality. I I truly believe it's a mentality thing. I think they go into the games against the on-paper bigger nations like France and Argentina, who have such a heritage in these competitions, and they almost crumble. Mm. It's almost like they have this defeatist mentality of allowing the team to just Play play around them and don't play to the true strength. I think
3: it's a similar frustration as to against Italy in the Euros for me. Yeah, I think like so. you look at Argentina and you see what talented attacking players and the damage they could have done to France. And, and a, a James Madison, for example, a player like him, I think could have had a real impact in that game. And hindsight's a wonderful thing, but it does
4: make it feel like a missed opportunity. But did you not think? Did you not see it coming though? Oh because yeah, because when when you're going. It was just the fact that even the reaction when we drew France, it almost felt like we were underdog again. Mm. And I was just thinking to myself, why? England, I think on paper, probably had a better squad than this France one, to be honest. And even Didier Deschamps after the game, he was so complimentary, saying it was one of the most impressive England sides he's faced. And yet he came out on top. And Mm. I just don't know if that's a belief thing that comes from the manager. I don't know if it's just... The mentality, the culture that goes on in the English squad, but it's just ever since I've watched England, probably since 2004, coming up against these big sizes always felt like a mountain task. Whereas you bet these Argentinian players, they look at all these other teams and think, well, you can, you saw it yesterday. I've, I've never seen a team so committed in my life mm. where they all look like they had three lungs, completely pressing them and making sure they want every last ball. England need to have that kind of mentality of do or die it's on like the pitch. It's like they felt
3: it was their destiny.
4: Yeah. And I feel like with England, it's almost like they don't feel it deserve, it's deserved of them. They don't feel like they're entitled to I don't know. It feels a bit wishy-washy at times to me.
3: With that in mind, I mean, England did go out of the quarterfinal stages of this World Cup to France. Southgate came out after the tournament and he said he was conflicted about whether he was going to stay on or not. He had been through some tough times during the Nations League and then he'd come back into this tournament. And I think he did all right in this tournament, despite those frailties that you mentioned, Joel. But do you think it's the right decision that he stayed on? I think it's his decision rather than the FA's. I think it's been 100% down to Gareth Southgate that he wants to stay on and continue the job he's doing.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, this this little period where of uncertainty, I, I feel like he was... Um... He was gauging reaction. Cause usually when a manager is sort of uh not wanted, they they know that. They can they mm. can see it in in the press. And you can feel the feeling around, you know, like a manager under pressure, um, and, and whether people want him to stay or want him to go. And I think he was uh, just taking a step back and just looking and saying, Do people still want me? Do people want someone else? obvious like an obvious candidate? And there just wasn't, so I think everybody was um, was happy. Well, I say I think more people were happy for him to stay, and I think he he realizes that, and that that's given him the energy for another another qualifying campaign and and another crack at the Euros. Because you know, at the end of the day, the Euros is a uh, uh, a quote unquote easier competition to win than the World Cup because you don't have to deal with Brazil and Argentina. Um, and all these you know, big South American uh, sides and the African sides punching above their weight and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, we went went to the final last time, couldn't have lost by any thinner margin. Um, so I think go again, you know, have another crack at it. Mm. I think uh, there's, no, there's no more obvious candidate, and I do think in two years' time, when we're coming off the back of the Euros, there will be a more obvious candidate because if Graham Potter's spell hasn't gone well at Chelsea, he could go if Eddie Howe's reached his limit at Newcastle he could go and I think they're the best two English coaches out there mm. so uh, let's just bide our time away because there's no point in putting somebody in now just for the sake of it
3: he has done well particularly in knockout tournaments. We know he's won six knockout matches, which is the same number of games than England won in the 48 years prior to Southgate taking charge. But he hasn't performed particularly well against those teams that are ranked top 10 in the world. He's only won four of the 24 matches he's faced against those. Yeah, and but I guess,
1: who, who has though? That's well, a, that's well, a, the that's a that thing. If those they, other 10. <laughs> <laughs> if, if nobody's done it before, you know and nobody's won it before, you can't be like, oh, well, he's never won it. It's because like, nobody has. Mm. <laughs> but just... do we have to accept... The, I think it's the other negative.
3: And I, I think the stats are really positive for Gareth Southgate in terms of what he's achieved. Mm. But he's achieved that via playing tournament football. So he's looked at the likes of Portugal and Greece who have done well before and he's kind of copied that blueprint and gone, as we've mentioned many times before, pragmatic, defensive first football. So that means what we have to come to terms with as England fans... It doesn't matter how much attacking talent there is on the bench, it doesn't matter how much Foden comes on or how Grealish is smashing it in the Premier League or whatever it is, we're going to see the same football from England and it will be Conservative. But it might result in success. But
1: has has it been that Conservative?
3: I
4: think there's been a change in this one, especially in the one, France think, game, because he went four at the back. I think yeah, it proves.
1: I think the whole tournament we went four, four at the back, the didn't back. we? Right. So whereas in the in the World Cup it did start to annoy me because we were winning with five at the back, but I I always thought we never we never looked great
4: in the World Cup. It was uh, almost like defensive back. first, even when attacking. Yeah, you know, and the fact that we had like Grealish on the bench and Saka who had to come in and Foden, we we're all looking at the, the attacking options, thinking. I waste yeah, what you've got, but how do you get them all in? You can't get them all in. A you team, can't get them so all in, but you look at like the likes of France, for example. It, rotation, like you, you saw yesterday, the fact that he brought on Kingsley Coman and Turam, it changed the whole entire game. His <laughs> yeah. man management needs to be better. Though. I think that's the, the the main issue with it in games. Yeah, I just, I'm not.
1: I don't know. I think it's a hard thing. I think there's that many options though. It's like like people moaned when Saka came off, but like who came on for him? Grealish, hundred yeah. million pound play you are putting on for him? Mm. He's not. He's not crap. It's not like you're putting me on and I'm just panting off my ass after five <laughs> minutes with a broken hand, pissing around. It's just, you know what I mean? It's just, there's always going to be, I think club bias as well massively plays into it. Like Arsenal fans, oh my God, why is he taking Saka And we know Arsenal fans are very vocal on social mm. media and stuff as well. They're, they're probably the... The number one interactors, if you if you ranked it by a club, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If you go Gareth Southgate from yeah, every player against every Man that United gets fans, for a squad to every Ra- substitution. Why is Rashford not starting in yeah. the semi? He scored three goals, blah blah blah. He scored them all off the bench. It's not a bad decision, mm. you know. T- you know he, he came on um, in games and and changed them. So why not keep that? Oh, he should be starting. He scored three goals. Well, yeah, but also Saka scored three goals and Sterling's playing well and he's never let England down and stuff. So. It's um yeah, it's like you said, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't, but somebody's got to be damned either way and somebody's gotta be in charge and I think South gets the still the man, just. Euro two thousand and twenty four, so that's when the contract's to last chance. i mean if he wins yeah. I
3: guess all we'll better off, but if he doesn't win, is that it? Even if we get to the final.
4: Yeah, you would think it because it's like a progression this this situation that he's in now it reminds me of Joachim Love when he was first at Germany. He took over in 2006 and it was a pretty poor Germany side. They got to the, was it the, yeah, the I think they, yeah, they finished third place in that one. And then in South Africa, they finished third place. And then the next one, 2014, they won the competition. And that was in the space of eight years he needed. He needed eight years with our Germany side to bring a trophy to Germany. And that just kind of proves to me continuity is actually vital and it's good to keep backing him because let's not forget he's only been in charge for four years. It doesn't feel that he feels way longer than it that. Does. But it's four years. Joachim Love had eight years he needed to just even be in contention to get something back. It's like a full generation, isn't yeah, it? He like needed a generation it. Of, of, of a squad. He needed to wash them out. I remember in that 2006 one, like Kevin karanyi and these kind of players, <laughs> they were not good enough to win a competition. I don't know how they even finished their place in that tournament. But it's the fact that, like you say, they needed a regeneration. He was bringing in new players, uh, young players like Schreinstiger was starting to become even more influential in that side. Closer was uh, becoming, you know, well he already was, but he was becoming a, a decider in the games. Yeah, then and had then Podolski and people yeah, like that. Yeah, he had a, he had a beautiful year. mix of balancing experience and youth, and that came together in 2014. I feel like with Southgate, he didn't quite have it in 2018. In the Euros last year it was a missed opportunity completely. I think he has to hold his hands up for that one. The next one, I think this one was a missed opportunity massively. I think the FA actually wanted him to win in 2022. Uh, but the next one, I think he will have probably the best crop of players he's had in terms of Bellingham coming into even more of a senior senior role. Foden's going to have another year of experience under his belt. Rashford, it's going to have a perfect mix. Kane's going to be in the absolute peak, I think, of his career He'll this be, is the last chance. Kane will be a totally
1: different player in, in two years' time. I think he'll be mm. a number 10, to be fair. The way he's dropping deep now, I think, mm. we'll see Conte or whoever's Spurs manager do something different with him. It's like we saw with Rooney, isn't it? Yeah. Where exa- as he got older, he kind of exactly dropped back into like that it. quarterback role. Yeah, I think, I think that'll end up... I think Kane will... I don't think he'll go back as... Because, I mean, Rooney ended up as a as a sort of midfield, like defensive midfield, yeah, didn't, didn't he, at, at one at point. Instantly, um, that's
3: exactly what happened to Harry Kane in a game of chat manager I played once. <laughs> as he got older, he kind of like arms. he dropped back into midfield. wasn't as go. effective, to be honest with you. I ended up selling him.
4: <laughs> but I think, like we were mentioning in the last podcast as well, it lines up nicely in two years. With, for example, if Graham Potter's not doing well mm. at Chelsea, mm. if Eddie Howe ends up, you know, winning everything and retires from Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think it lines up football nice. in the next two <laughs> years. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I think it just lines up nicely, regardless. I think now's it would have been the wrong time. Yeah,
1: and even if they, even if they sort of fail, like let's say Potter gets sacked by Chelsea in a year and has six months out, and then he's at like I don't know, Everton, for example, in in the six months leading up to it, and he gets he gets the England job off the back of the Euros. I think he's already done enough in his career now to get the England job. Mm. That's why a few weeks ago when we were saying who's who's out there, like Eddie Howe and Graham Potter have done enough in their careers already to have that job at any point, whereas the other candidates they haven't. Lampard, I'm not even sure you need Lampard, to do a lot of the Gerard, game. Deitch. These, these these people aren't <laughs> they're, they're not they're not they're not candidates, they've done nothing. So yeah. Keep it with Southgate, see what happens.
4: 2024 coming home. Okay.
1: We're gonna wrap up our <laughs> World think. Cup coverage
3: next because we're gonna look back at the tournament as a whole and pick out some of the best players and discuss what might happen to those stars next as the World Cup cools down. This is Football Social Daily.
2: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
0: It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW group prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back.
3: Football Social Daily. We are going to wrap up today's podcast and wrap up the World Cup as well by looking at some of the players who have really stood out at this World Cup. Jude Bellingham. I can't pronounce the Croatian fella's name, but I'll have a go. Gosko Gavaldio? Not even close. Not even but close. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Josko Gvardiol. Oh, I don't know. It was too bad. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. Julian Alvarez, It's not your course, worst. <laughs> Kylian Mbappe, we've already discussed as well. Some of the standout individuals from this tournament in what has been an exceptional tournament. I think. guess we kind of need to start with Jude Bellingham who is still playing out in Dortmund at the moment. And because of those reasons, the fact he is still playing in Germany, I mean, probably we've not seen him play quite as much as we would have seen those other England players play. And that is part of the reason that why he stood out so dramatically for England. At the age of 19, he looks so competent. He looks so together. He looks like a potential future England captain. How impressed were you with Jude Bellingham in this tournament, Joel?
4: I think it was coming. The fact that uh, Calvin Phillips was coming into the tournament with, I think, 20 minutes under his belt from the start of the season, everyone knew. And I think even last year during the Euros, everyone kind of wanted him to be in there, but it was a little bit too soon. And I think Calvin Phillips justified it. But it's the fact that, you know, this year for Dortmund or in the last year for Dortmund, he's now vice-captain at 19, which is massive. Um, He's basically one of the best players at Dortmund at 19 as well one of the best players in the Champions League for the last couple of years combined. It was just always coming in Mm -hmm. this England squad. And it's the fact that we have so far and few quality centre midfielders that he stands out like a sore thumb in that midfield now because there's just little and far and few between midfielders coming through that are actually decent quality. I think England, if there's ever a position that I could think of now that we really need a world-class midfielder in, it is in midfield rather than anywhere else on the pitch. And I think he can definitely do that. He just I didn't realise just how box-to-box he can be. It's he unbelievable. Think, does he
1: need a partner? I'm like thinking, him and Rice, and then I think there needs to be one more, doesn't there? We need if a passer.
4: We, ju- we truly need that kind of yeah. combative Modric-type. Like, Please, we just need to ge- regenerate a Modric-type player or Scholes. Just a Scholes-type player who can just keep the ball, bus gets style. I just don't think we have that player, I, I and we wonder, never really have.
3: I wonder whether he's being kind of moulded into that Henderson role. He's being seen as he the him. Henderson replacement. Yeah, but he's more than that, I think. And I think if you play him like you play Henderson, you lose out on so much from Jude Bellingham because you yeah, lose yeah, that yeah,
1: drive, yeah. that kind of like box-to-box yeah, thing that I mean. he's demonstrated that he has. Yeah. I think if you if you turned him into a similar type of player to Henderson, you, you waste his talent. Mm-hmm. I think. Taking away his artillery, aren't you? Yeah. He's, he's great I mean, towards the other box rather than our box. Henderson was always a, a good passer, but not like a not a killer, You couldn't decide you a game, Jordan Henderson, could yeah, he, really? No well, he got, like, he, Chris o, he got Chris O's a lot because of the amount he passed sideways. Yeah, and he's and that, of, and but that true. all plays into the English thing, doesn't mm-hmm. it, of, of um, having, you know, when we talked about young young players being fearless, because yeah. they go forward and they just think, sorry, it's just a game, I'll play, whereas Henderson, and all all the other players, not just Henderson, but, you know, um, they think, oh, don't want to lose it, don't want to be the guy who gives it away and right. gets hammered by the papers. Whereas Bellingham, young, playing in Germany, doing his own thing, being allowed to mature, he's been, you know, breath of fresh air. I think he's a young player of the tournament. I, I found it a bit of a, a bit convenient that Enzo Fernandez played in the final and was there to accept the award because Bellingham's back home. Be- Bellingham was at Birmingham on Friday yeah. night. I think. Where
3: were the England players who accept the FIFA Fair Play Award from the tournament <laughs> for the one yellow card <laughs> yeah, they got?
1: The whole thing. I should have turned up for
3: that one. Yeah. Premier League next season for Bellingham. Maybe not in January, but certainly in the
4: summer. Do you think we're going to see someone coming in for him? Yeah. I kind of fear for him in the Premier League, though. Not to say he's not good enough, but it's the fact that his fee is going to be so high. I think people are going to demand Pressure. so much for him. Yeah. It's going to remind me of the Pogba situation. He, he's not a match winner. He never was and he never will be. But he was just such a luxury star-studded player in that Juventus side that everyone almost saw of him as... You need to win the games for us, mm. and I, I, I kind of fear that when he comes to if he comes to the Premier League, everyone's going to expect him to be something that he actually isn't. Maybe they'll have a little bit more leniency because he's English, and you know he probably won't go to United, for example, where he'd have to probably get absolutely pelted for playing in our team. But I think if he went to, for example, Liverpool just for the price, like we've seen with Grealish, he's not going to score you like 10-15 mm. a season. He's not going to give you 10-15 assists a season. He's just a player who is so well-performed in a team. So I just don't know. I feel like for me, he'd be better protected if he went to somewhere like Real Madrid. And I feel like his talent would be a little bit better nurtured if he went to somewhere like mm. that. I don't I, know. I'd, I agree with your point, but English players in
1: Madrid have not fared that well. They tend to be sort of overlooked. Like Beckham, they they pretty much hounded Beckham out at the end. And they never give Owen a chance, to be fair, even though his record was good because he was injured so much.
4: But I feel yeah. like you've got, to, you've got to have that Galactico mentality. You not a Bale, his yeah. talent spoke for itself. Yeah, but then they bloody hated him. Yeah, it didn't go very well. He won them four <laughs> bloody championships, <laughs> including two of the, the best goals He's a legend, like, yeah. whether they like it or not.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. But, I'd, I'd like to see him do it in the Premier League though I, I think everyone would like to see it but, I just, but he it'd fits, be difficult for him he fits perfectly into Liverpool's system but whether they'll spend the money is another thing yeah. entirely and, and, it's going to be and he fits perfectly money. into City's system as a De Bruyne heir mm. and if Bernardo leaves you know they've got a fair chunk of that if Bernardo goes for £70 million, all of a sudden Jude Bellingham's net fee is like £45 million.
3: apparently it's Birmingham's nothing. sell-on clause all their percentage of the fee they get is only around 5% as
1: well yeah, what's five percent of like hundred and thirty. Well, twenty six. Six million. No. no, about six million. <laughs> six yeah. six, six million. million. It's not a lot. Uh, it's not a lot. It is. Lot. Um, yeah, it
4: isn't a lot actually. Well, for <laughs> a seventeen-year-old academy say it is for graduate, but... it's, it's a good amount, isn't it? And the twenty-five million they got from Dortmund. Mm. Yeah.
3: Let's talk about this Croatian fella whose name is Gvardiol. He has been picked by Nile as one of the best defenders of this tournament. Yeah, yeah. he was close. He had a. Sh- Struggle against Argentina in that semi-final. Not that one game can necessarily completely write off what you've done in the tournament so far. Yeah, are we going to see potential Premier League clubs coming in for him? Because there's there's a bit of a a lack of real quality defenders. I mean, think right across Europe at the moment.
1: Mm. Well, I think is he? I think he just signed a new. He was going to go last summer. Then he signed a new deal to. Up the fee, basically. Mm. Then he's had an outrageous World Cup.
3: I'll be Leipzig he's at the moment.
1: Yeah, Leipzig. Um, but yeah, I think somebody's gonna pay the money. Leipzig are gonna take it. That's what they do. They've got the the infrastructure in place. Leipzig, the the Red Bull. Um, what do you call it? Like portfolio across the world, where they'll just go and sign the next young player, and mm. and the sort of uh, the line will just continue. I think. Um, but yeah, he'll go. I can see Chelsea paying the money because then. If they get Gvardiol out and pair him alongside Wesley Fafana, their centre backs are sorted for the next ten years, if if they stay fit and, you know, stay mature as as expected type of thing. So yeah, I expect him to go probably to Chelsea if I'm honest. Um and we'll see because he was he was so so good. Um, I just in, loved in the when Messi made
4: him look so mortal, though. I know, <laughs> but <do> you know? <laughs> it was great with that. I, I, Messi I sh- makes I, everyone look true, mortal, though, doesn't true. he? I mean, he gave him no so shame. much
1: respect. He gave him too much respect. Like when he was shoulder to shoulder with Messi, just send him into the boards. I, I he's eleven. It, he's eleven stone. I shoulder him into next week.
4: I feel like he just couldn't get near him. Yeah, it we've seen it with so many. It was insane
1: dribbling. Like the way, like Messi's not not quick in terms of straight line speed, but he'll. His acceleration is still there, so like he slowed him down, he sped him up. And for a big him defender, it's a nightmare,
4: though, isn't it? Yeah,
1: sped him up, and then he turned his back to him. And I think Vardy was like, "Right, he's going to go on his left foot and whip on in." And he just dropped his shoulder, went towards his right foot because he was so quick off the line. He ended up getting into the box and uh, you cutting can't it touch back him for then, Can you? Yeah, he, that was the thing. But once he's outside the box, just, just be a bit of a <laughs> house and just smash him. <laughs> There was one current Premier League star who looked really
3: strong in the tournament, uh, Julian Alvarez, obviously plays for Manchester. well, he's signed for Man City, he doesn't know if he play for Man City. They got him <laughs> for just 16 million quid yeah. last summer. Oh, I think January. It was, it was January it 16 came in, yeah. million quid.
1: Well, January he signed and then he
3: joined in the summer, yeah. I mean, yeah. if it hadn't been for Lionel Messi stealing the show, Alvarez would have been getting far more attention this tournament than he otherwise got. But given his performances, there's going to be a real clamour for, from City fans now, isn't there, for him to get more game time and potentially be played in this City team. I don't know if you can play Haaland and Alvarez in the same team, but there's, they're going yeah. to want to see him spending more time on the pitch than he has done previously.
4: His issue is that for Argentina, he's got an alien in front of him and for City, he's got a robot in front of him. So I don't know how you managed to uh, <laughs> overcome that, to be honest. It winds me up every time I see him play because United literally had the option to sign him for his buyout fee from River Plate which was something ridiculously low like 16 million euros. Mm. They backed against it of course City pulled the trigger because they're smart and It was Rangnick wasn't it who wanted him Yeah he wanted him and obviously United board think they know better than people who know football. Anyway before we go down that rabbit hole Not as fast (laughs) um, as I
3: thought it was actually because I haven't seen him well no one's seen him him, but I thought he was a bit pacier than he maybe is. I mean he's Plenty of talent, but maybe not quite got the pace I expected.
4: He reminds me of Aguero. Not that Aguero, I don't, I'm not saying in terms of quality, in terms of just the way that they don't need pace. They've got ridiculous acceleration mm. and ridiculous intelligence because if you remember at the start of the tournament, Scaloni opted for Letaro Martinez mm. and him and Messi just did not be, they didn't see eye to eye. They were almost t- occupying the same positions and they weren't doing the runs, whereas uh, Alvarez was basically Messi's, almost pedestal for him to then run off. He was doing all the dirty work behind him, cleaning up, making the runs so that Messi had the space in the middle. And I think for Alvarez, he's going to have a difficult situation now because like I say, he's got Haaland in front of him at City. Guardiola doesn't usually like to play two strikers up front because it basically takes another creative player away. Is he going to be satisfied with sitting on the City bench and basically having that Mahrez type role? We've seen him um, play out wide a couple of times.
1: So I think I think if Pep, fancies that I think I think we might see him out wide a bit more and Mahrez's game time going down the panel even even mm. a little bit more. But um, I think he's proved that he can play with other strikers from this yeah. from this tournament. His intelligence so is ridiculous. So if you sub Messi for and um, from uh, to Haaland in in terms of the team he's playing in, I think he's proved that he's got that intelligence and selflessness to. To help out, because he, he got a couple of assists as well, and then the one he he slid, slid across for Di Maria in the, in the final was, um, was good vision and, and good sort of um, selflessness and that. So I think Guardiola would just be like, Jesus, this has just proved to me that. I mean, he, there was a quote from him as well. He said uh, Guardiola said before the tournament, um, Alvarez said that they were at the training ground and people were asking him who's got the who's going to win the World Cup. Is it going to be Bernardo at uh, at Portugal? Is it going to be, um, you know, um, Rodri and etc. at Spain? And he apparently looked at Alvarez and said he's got the best chance because because of Messi and because of him, basically. And he turned out to be right. Let's finish off and talk about Kylian Mbappe. We've talked about him already, but just to wrap
3: this up, second World Cup final in a row, scored a hat-trick, ended up on the losing side. I don't think that has ever, well, definitely hasn't ever happened in a World Cup final, whether it's happened in a major final or not, I don't know. There'll be questions about whether he can be the best in the world, and we've said he's the natural person to take on that mantle, to take on the torch from Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. But can he do that at PSG? Because that's where he's currently playing his football, and we know that Legion is not the strongest, and I don't think you can look at PSG as the place where any player is going to reach their full potential. So, is he now? Going to be looking at where his next move is, and is that a really limited pool of options he's got? I don't think we'll see him in the Premier League. I don't think anyone's really got the budget beyond Chelsea, potentially depending on what Todd Bowley does. Manchester City—they obviously always got the budget, but Real Madrid feels like the destination for yeah. Mbappe for me. And I don't—and I wonder whether it's going to happen
1: as soon as I expected this him to summer. be there now. To be fair, right. I thought he'd go last summer, but he ended up signing a, a new contract and having the whole you know i pick the kit i pick i, I pick training i <laughs> i do everything type of thing if if reports are to be believed but it's um yeah i expect him at real madrid there's there's um pictures of him as a kid with zidane and ronaldo at the training ground and stuff so i think it's it's instilled in him um i think he he probably tries to win the, the Champions League with psg um and if he does that i think he goes right that's it i've I've, I've done everything here I've given enough back to them now I'm going to go to Real Madrid like my childhood dream and myself Does he prove need to get though to get, to get yeah. that status because
3: yeah. if he wins the Champions League with PSG he's won the Champions League and that surely trumps any kind of domestic is, trophy His
4: reputation I don't think anyone will truly give him the props. If he gets to the end of his career and he stays at Paris Saint-Germain, he will never be where Ronaldo and Messi are purely because he's in a league that is one of the worst out of the top five. It's just facts. Mm. And I think the fact he finds himself in a difficult position now because I think he, he has an ego about him. I think you have to, to be that good. But it's the fact that he has Messi next to him and Neymar. I think he's dying to be the man at a club. And he can't be at Paris Saint-Germain because he's got two of the best players in the world right next to him. Mm-hmm. He's got the guy who just beat him in a final <laughs> right next to him. He's got to go back to. And I think that, like Marley said, I was surprised that he stayed at uh, PSG. I think he was massively coerced by, you know, like Macron getting involved and Calafi getting involved with these massive sign I feel like he got a little bit overwhelmed and a little bit pushed into that. And now, I think if everyone remembers, I think around four months ago, he actually came out and said he wants to leave PSG in the reports and it got kind of swept to the side because the World Cup was coming up. But I just think for me, the fact that he is so far closer to Messi and Ronaldo than anyone else is. I know he's still got a long way to go, but I mean, getting eight goals in a campaign is ridiculous. That's the type that R9, Brazilian R9 was getting. I think he got nine in one mm-hmm. campaign. That It is it, baffling to me how he has 13 goals in the World Cup at 23. He's going to break it, 100% he's going to mm. break. He's going to smash it, in fact. Yeah. Is it and, five
1: in the final already he's got?
4: Four in a final, four? yeah, four that's in a final, which ins- is insane. 23 years old,
1: but, like he's got to be looking now at like at me- what Messi's done in his career and saying, can I can I beat that? Because if you look at the stats, I seen a, uh, a graphic just before the the final, and it was the career stats at 22, and Mbappe's is better in everything. He's got more assists, more goals, more international caps, more international goals, more trophies. Like, that has to be the pedestal for him. Can he do that at PSG? I'm not sure. It's not going to happen. But he's ret- ret- whatever ret- happens, ret- ret- unt- they're going to end. Like, if Mbappe wins nothing from now to the end of his career, they've both got one World Cup. Um, They've both got, you know, goals in finals and stuff. So he's already there. He's already on that level now. Will Mbappe might have three more World Cups in him. You've got three very good chances of winning the World Cup again with mm-hmm. with a 20... What was what he 22, 23? 23, so, a 27 yeah. year old Mbappe and a 31 year old Mbappe, and maybe a 35 year old Mbappe. <laughs> yeah. You've got he's got a very good chance. I think if he goes, Terrifying. To, goes <laughs> and gets that, uh... I don't
4: know about you, Steve, but in my eyes, he's gone from the here to here in terms of his yeah. elevation. I think everyone yeah. respects him way more than they did before. That was yeah. a great demonstration on the podcast. Joel, yeah, I I wanted to say my (laughs) hands halfway on a meter stick, and now it's at the top of a meter stick. (laughs) Well,
3: that is the World Cup wrapped up. Of course, it is not football social daily wrapped up. We're going to gear shift back into Premier League very soon because the Premier League resumes in just seven days, (laughs) Boxing Day. We are back with a full fixture list and we'll be with you right the way through to the end of the season as well. Stick around, we'll keep you entertained over Christmas. There's loads of specials and bonus podcasts coming, so make sure you've clicked subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we'll see you soon.
2: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. prohibited by loss. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
2: A laundry. <sighs> oh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh?
0: Ah, <sighs> oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.